Hello and welcome to the Art of Will Building podcast, episode number five, part two. Today we continue our discussion of creating species and races. We talk about their overall attitude, deciding what they look like, and more. As this is a big subject, the podcast will be split into several episodes, each as number five, part one, two, or three, for example. This material and more is discussed in chapter three of Creating Life, volume one in the Art of World Building book series. Do you want practical advice on how to build better worlds faster and have more fun doing it? The Art of World Building book series, website, blog, and podcast will make your worlds beat the competition. This is your host, Randy Ellison, and I have 30 years of world building advice, tips, and tricks to share. Follow along now at artofworldbuilding.com. If you're following along with Creating Life, you will notice that there is a section on Habitat. One of the subjects discussed therein is this issue that comes up in fantasy, especially where we might have the elves almost exclusively holed up inside their forest with only a few of them out and about in the world, and even then only temporarily. When the story is done, they're going to go back home and maybe never venture out again. The same idea is often done with dwarves who never leave their mountain home. This trope comes up in fantasy quite a bit, but could also be done in science fiction. This is not to say that this is necessarily a good thing or what we want to pursue, but there does seem to be this idea that the humans are the ones who are everywhere in equal numbers, and that each of these species or races that we've created is holed up in one location and there's only a few of them out and about in the world or in the universe. Personally, I think more variety can be done with this, and I talk about this a lot in the book under the section on habitat. This includes the idea of joint settlements, and by that I mean a place that is built by multiple species together, as opposed to being mostly built by the humans, and there's just a smattering of other species there, or an elven city where it's obviously built by and for elves, and only others, the only others that are allowed in there are on a temporary basis. We may want to challenge that kind of idea, and the reason I mention this is that I'm actually not going to discuss this in any more detail in this episode of the podcast or on the blog on the website on artofworldbuilding.com, but if you want to find out more of what I have to say about this, just pick up a copy of Creating Life. So what are we going to talk about? Well, the first subject up is disposition, or the overall attitude of our species. Another word for this is alignment. Those who are used to playing Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games might be familiar with this, and usually we say that someone is either evil, good, or neutral, whatever that means. And I think this is something that we should talk about. I personally don't like using the words good and evil in my stories, because life is more complicated than that, and our characters will hopefully be richer than this. Now, to some extent, that depends on our audience. If we are writing for younger people and teenagers, we may want to go ahead with that kind of thing, because there are people who like a simple breakdown into good and evil. As someone who is no longer a teenager, that sort of simplification uh, tends to make me roll my eyes. Some of you hearing me say that are going to have the same reaction. Some of the few are probably going to think, well, just get over it, it's not a big deal. But, you know, you have to decide for yourself whether that's the sort of characterization you want to do. If it is, well, then you're set. If you're not, then what other words can we use instead of good and evil? These other words can get across the same point without making our audience feel like we're talking down to them. Two of the words that I resort to a lot are benevolent for good and nefarious for evil. But we can get across the same idea without even going that far. For example, I can just say that something is violent, uncivilized, uneducated, and just is not welcomed in society, and that basically gets the point across. 
By contrast, a benevolent species would be part of a society and law-abiding and just generally be thought of fondly. This is not to say that no one will dislike them, but if they are living among a population and a character is making minor complaints about that species, that kind of gets across the point that they're not really that bad. You know, they're not murderous, they're not thieving all the time. We might just have the person say that they don't like the way they smell or something else trivial. Even saying that they feel uncomfortable around that species because they don't understand the customs or other things like that or the food gets the point, gets the point across that they are around in the society, but there's something about them that people don't like, or at least this character doesn't like. Honestly, that sort of characterization can be a lot more helpful than just calling them benevolent or nefarious. It creates a more vivid picture. It also gives you the opportunity as the writer to have two characters argue about that species, with one of them saying negative things and maybe the other one saying positive things like, hey, you know, they're not all that bad. They did help us with this, that, or the other thing. Someone can say, well, if you don't like them, then why do you wear uh, a piece of clothing that is inspired by them? This could, in turn, allow us to say that many people do that kind of thing and that this character doesn't think it's a big deal or it's not some sort of endorsement of that species. We could also say that that particular species doesn't mingle with everyone else. They've got their own special quarter, like the French Quarter in New Orleans, but maybe it's the Elven Quarter or the Dwarven Quarter, and that this is one of the reasons some people resent them. If we feel like someone is not mingling with the rest of us, we tend to assassinate their character. It's not great, but it's, it is something that humans do. So we could decide that if the elves are living apart from the rest of everyone inside the settlement, that does say that they're welcomed here, but that maybe the elves are the ones doing a little bit of shunning, and then people will say, well, they think they're too good to eat our food or to live among us. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a way of getting across the fact that they're a part of the species or part of the settlement and the life there and maybe the culture, but there are still people who don't like them, even though they're basically a good or benevolent species. By contrast, for an evil species, we can basically say that they're not allowed here or they haven't been inside since the last attack, however many years ago, or that uh, maybe some knights are riding out of the city gates at some point and they're on their way to deal with some sort of uprising from that species. This still gets the point across that this is not a pleasant species. It's more vivid and just comes across better than saying, well, they're evil. We can also get this across by describing the city layout and the walls and the guard towers and the types of defenses that exist, because some of those will be designed to repel that particular species. There might also be special weapons that individuals have. For example, someone could have a knife and then someone says, yes, I used this to twist out the hearts of those little bastards. And that gets across the point. These are some alternatives to ever using the words good and evil. Let's take a quick break here and talk about where you can get more useful world-building resources. Artofworldbuilding.com has most of what you need. This includes links to more podcasts like this one. You can also find more information on all three volumes of the Art of Worldbuilding series. Much of the content of those books is available on the website for free. And the thing that you might find the most useful is that by signing up for the newsletter, you can download the free templates that are included with each volume of the Art of World Building series, whether you have bought the books or not. All you need to do is join the newsletter. You can do this by going to artofworldbuilding.com newsletter. Sign up today and you will get your free templates and you will never miss an update about what is happening in the great world of world building. 
This discussion on good and evil brings up another point that I alluded to earlier, and that is that humans, at least, are a lot more complicated than that. Now, we do have some people that we have traditionally decided are wholly evil, such as Hitler and maybe Saddam Hussein. And by contrast, there are people that we've decided are basically good. And uh, Mother Teresa would be an example of that. Without getting into the specifics of any of those people or anyone else, most of us are not wholly good or evil. We are a mix. However, people tend to like to oversimplify things. And this is where that good versus evil idea comes into play. I don't want to get too philosophical about this because that's a whole other subject, but there are people who believe and will say that mankind is basically good and that something has to happen to make someone go evil or something happened to them when they were born, that something was just off, they're wrong, and that we usually want an explanation of some kind for why that person has done despicable acts. And the types of acts we're talking about here are obvious crimes like murder or rape. These are atrocious enough that it makes it very easy to say that that person was evil. But what about much more minor things like a traffic infraction or someone, well, I don't want to say that driving drunk is minor because people end up getting killed from that, but there isn't the intent to kill. Then there is smaller stuff like cheating or telling white lies, as we call them. The point here is that evil comes in different degrees of how awful it is. So even if we decide that a species is evil, we should have some idea of just how evil they really are. Is there big crime that when they drive cars, they never use their turn signals? Or do they go around murdering people? In the latter case, yes, we will just call them evil. In the former case, well, we might curse about them, but they're still going to be a member of society, and they might get some tickets, for example, but we're probably not going to consider them to be actually evil. More to the point... We can have one person who does go around killing people and another person who never does, or at least they only do it in self-defense or as part of law enforcement or the army, for example. The point I'm getting at here is that we can have two members of the same species where one is basically good and one is basically evil, so that there isn't a uniform way of looking at all of them, just like with humans. This is arguably the single biggest reason not to go with that sort of characterization. Is it realistic for most of them to have the same disposition? Unless we can think of a good reason, my answer to that would be no. After all, why would they all be the same? Did some magical event create all of them and then somehow infect all of them so that they have a certain nasty attitude? Because that would explain it. They could be a species that developed society far later than, say, humans, and as a result of this, they are considered kind of barbaric and are treated like third-class citizens, which could in turn give them a healthy attitude that makes them be uncooperative and essentially evil. That's another justification for them being this way. Especially in fantasy, we could decide that gods who are basically evil are the ones who created that species, and as a result, that species has inherited the disposition of those gods. This could explain them being evil. For example, I've been creating the world of Lorien for about 30 years now. There are seven species, each one created by a different group of gods. The gods of greed, deception, jealousy, and fear created one of the species called Dekai. This species inherited the combined attributes of the four gods who created them. These attributes heavily influenced their outlook, so you can imagine that they are basically one of my evil species. I don't need to say that all the time. I can get it across in other ways, but that's how I set that up. And one point I would make there is that I decided that those species are heavily influenced by those attributes, but they are not incapable of other ones because that would be too limiting. 
This arrangement had a side effect of making most of the Daikai have a relatively uniform disposition. This means the other people on Lorien, like the humans, basically know what to expect from one of these, and as a result, they have a predictable reaction. This causes them to be largely shunned and not welcomed in society. They are also feared if encountered in the wild. What this is good for is that my characters have something for them to be afraid of and try to avoid when they are traveling. However, it also causes a problem. I can never have this species of Daikai living in a civilized society because no one would ever accept them, and this makes them very limiting. I don't know about you, but I don't really like having limits on my work and my opportunities when I'm writing. So what did I do about this? The idea of a curse or something magical or even technological in science fiction, creating an alternate version of a race or species, is a basic idea that has been around for a while. So basically, I have another version of them. And they go by another name, Morkai. Now, if you notice my naming convention, one of them is called Daikai, and one of them is called Morkai. So the species is Kai, and then the two races are Morkai and Daikai. This allows me to make universal statements about all of Kai, and then universal statements about Daikai, and more universal statements about Morkai, where those statements are differing from each other. Now, you could say that I've just duplicated my problem. Instead of one race with a uniform disposition, I have now two of them that are in opposition to each other. This is a fair criticism. However, it does get me out of the problem of having Kai that are never a part of a civilization because the Morkai are allowed to be there and the Daikai are not. So I at least solved one of my problems. Now there's still another problem, and that is that people know what to expect and have a certain reaction to each one of them. The easy way around that problem is to have both races look physically identical, Therefore, people don't know which one they're actually dealing with. This allows one to masquerade as another for infiltrating somewhere where they are not allowed. It also causes some people who are short on faith to not trust an either member of that species. This can cause everything from minor uh, interaction problems, where there's just some distrust being exhibited or even said out loud, to outright accusations of crimes that... Uh, a Morkai, for example, would never do as a good species, but a Daikai would. And someone is trying to say, well, that guy's a Daikai pretending to be a Morkai. He's actually this evil kind of person who would do this horrible thing that I'm accusing them of. Each race of this species could be aware of this problem and either try to minimize it or utilize it to their advantage. For example, the benevolent Morkai might try to never give the impression that they have the character traits of the Daikai race so that no one accuses them falsely. This could make them feel like they have to tiptoe around suspicious humans, for example. This, in turn, might make the race of Morkai a little bit annoyed with humans because they're the ones who do this sort of thing. Maybe humans are the only ones who do this sort of thing, or it might be a problem that they have to deal with with every one of the species on that world. As you can imagine, if you were a benevolent Morkai, and you had to deal with people assuming you're a Daikai, and you're up to no good, this might make you have a real problem with the Daikai as well, so that you want to participate in eradicating them or doing something to minimize the distrust with, with which your species ends up being viewed. So now we're ending up with a much more varied situation when it comes to the disposition of this species, rather than just saying they're all the same. Another option we have is deciding that some of them are corrupt. For example, we could take a benevolent species and then have a certain group of them run across some sort of evil magic item or technology that somehow corrupts them, and they are permanently turned into a more nefarious version of that species. 
This also gives us an entry in our history log of things that have happened in the past, because this would presumably be a famous incident. It can also help us create an artifact, whether it's magic or technology. We can also decide that this was an accident, or that someone evil did this on purpose. Or if it was a previously evil species, and now there's a good race of them, we might say that someone was trying to save them, and they were a do-gooder who wanted to make the world a better place. And it worked, but it only worked once. Then we just have to decide how many of that group are there. Is there like a couple dozen? Is there an entire society? Has it been 10,000 years and that group has spread across the world and there are different colonies of them everywhere? All of this gives us more options for deciding on the disposition of any species we invent. And more options is good. For those of you who support crowdfunding, I am on the Patreon site and would appreciate any support you can lend. Think about whether you're benefiting from this podcast or the Art of Will Building blog and website, and consider supporting the effort to spread the word far and wide. Your support could help a budding world builder create an awesome world that you become a huge fan of. This podcast and related items are my way of giving back to the fantasy, sci-fi, movie, and gaming industries that I love so much. You can give back too by helping to fund the effort. When the next Tolkien or George R.R. Martin shows up, you can tell yourself, I helped them do that. Your support can be just $1 a month to the cause. Higher levels of support get you increasingly cool things, such as PDF transcripts of this podcast, free MP3s, including unreleased music, free ebooks and short stories, bookmarks, and even signed copies of books and CDs of my music. Many of these are unavailable to the public. Just go to artofworldbuilding.com slash patron. You can also just go to the homepage and click the big icon for this. Please note that Patreon is spelled a little bit weird. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Support great world building today. Let's continue talking about the appearance of our species or race. The ability of two races of one species to masquerade as each other is a great thing for our storytelling. But it's certainly not the only thing we should consider. However, we probably do want to make a decision about whether we would like that ability before deciding on creating two races that look so different from each other that there's no way this can happen. One reason to go ahead and make them look the same is that it's a lot easier to invent one appearance than two. Whether we like it or not, people do judge everything based on appearance. While this is certainly a human behavior, we find it believable that others would do the same thing. Now we can take a physical feature and assign any sort of trait to that that we want. One culture might decide that something is a negative while someone else decides it's a positive. We should probably think of a reason for this. For example, there's an idea that you don't wear white after Labor Day, at least here in the United States. Therefore, someone wearing white after Labor Day is considered to be socially and fashionably clueless. This might make some people mock them while other people have no idea that a fashion faux pas has occurred. While this is a clothing example, the same idea can apply to parts of the body. For example, someone could decide that having large hands means you're generous, or they could decide it means you like to steal things. This can be spun in either way. If we have a species with wings and their wings are shorter than most people, we can decide this means that they are deficient in some other way. If a species prizes itself on its sense of smell and uh, some of them have really large noses, then this could be a positive. There were times in human history where larger women were considered more desirable because they were seen as better childbearers, but today we're all about the slender woman being more desirable. 
something all of this is alluding to is that culture can have an impact on how we view a feature. The great thing for us as world builders is that we can largely make these up. We can decide that a species typically has a certain feature, such as a large nose, and then certain members of that species do not, and now we have a comparison for characterization. So part of what we're trying to decide here is what is typical of the species or race. We need to know this in order to decide that a certain character from that race is somehow different from the norm and has been judged this way or that. We should also decide how clean the species tends to be. For example, if the species is generally kind of messy but our character is neat, maybe that person gets more respect from other species. And what does this say about him? Do his own kind find him arrogant? Uh, Does he care what they think? And why is he like this? Maybe he aspires to be better than them. Or maybe he just dresses neatly to keep others from suspecting that his character is bad, because we sometimes do that to people. Maybe his appearance gets him other opportunities. The reverse can also happen if his species is typically neat, but he's a sloppy person. Maybe his own kind think he's a slob, and they don't want to have anything to do with him. But maybe other species think he's more down-to-earth. We can decide that he's too busy to care about his appearance, although this is a cliché, or we can just decide he's either clueless or indifferent. Either way, knowing how people in his species typically look allows us to characterize him. And this is always better than having no reason to decide that a character is one way or another, or if we just can't make up our minds. This gives us a decision point. And quickly making decisions is good. So let's talk about how to subscribe to this podcast. A podcast is a free, downloadable audio show that enables you to learn while you're on the go. To subscribe to my podcast for free, you'll need an app to listen to the show from. For iPhone, iPad, and iPad listeners, grab your phone or device and go to the iTunes store and search for The Art of World Building. This will help you to download the free podcast app, which is produced by Apple, and then subscribe to the show from within that app. Every time I produce a new episode, you'll get it downloaded right onto your iDevice. For Android listeners, you can download the Stitcher Radio app, which is free, and search for The Art of World Building. This only needs to be done once, and at that point, you will never miss an episode. One question we should tackle is whether our species is going to be humanoid or not. If so, then it's pretty easy to decide that they have one head, two arms, two legs, and the usual other parts. But if they're not going to be humanoid, then this raises other problems, one of those being that they can't exactly masquerade as a humanoid. The ability to shapeshift could solve that for us, however. If that ability is not innate, we can give them a magic item or a technological one to do so. However, that still makes this ability somewhat rare. Another issue here is that accommodations and things like eating utensils will probably be different. Maybe they cannot sleep in a normal bed. Maybe there are no places for them to stay when the characters are traveling, such as an inn or a tavern. They may have to sleep outside. They also may not be welcome inside. One point here is that you will have to make additional considerations when writing for this non-humanoid species. You might have to do more planning in order to include one of them on a trip. If you have something like a giant spider, it's not going to be able to get on the back of a bird or a flying unicorn, for example. If your dragons are big enough, then it might work. Even a regular-sized spider might be an issue, but at least they would have some easier time getting around. This is a subject where you're going to have to put more thought into it if it's not humanoid. In a non-visual medium, it might also be challenging to quickly and succinctly describe what this creature looks like. 
We might think that we've got something good because we're picturing it, but we don't do a good job of describing it, and the audience doesn't share our idea of how good it is. In other words, there can be more risk to this. Decide whether it is worth it and whether you really want this to be that way. What purpose are you hoping to achieve, and do you care about the limitations that this imposes on your stories? When it comes to describing facial features, we want to once again decide on what most of the species or race looks like. However, just as humans can look different from each other, we might want to create variety. The only problem with doing this is that it takes a little bit more time. We will want to consider everything about the face. For example, the overall face can be round, oval, square, or heart-shaped. We also want to consider the brow, the eyebrows, eyes, the iris, cheekbones, noses, mouth, teeth, and chin. In Creating Life, I've got a handy chart that you can read that shows all the options for these. However, one of the issues that it does bring up is that we sometimes cannot use the Earth name for something. For example, we have the Roman nose and the Cupid's bow. These are both referencing something on Earth, so if our story is taking place on a world that has no knowledge of Earth, we can't call these that. Our choice is either to omit it altogether or come up with another name, or just describe the feature. One problem with inventing a face is that we could come up with features that sound like they work together, but when someone actually draws them, it just looks ridiculous. But there is a way around this. I have found some online programs that I have used to create an avatar. What they can allow you to do is create a whole face. There are examples of this on artofworldbuilding.com, but you can also go to pimptheface.com and try it there. And you can use another one called faceyourmanga.com. With these free programs online, you can just uh, experiment and have fun and not worry about it too much, but it can also spark ideas, and it's pretty easy to swap out the facial features. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review the show at artofwillbuilding.com slash review. Reviews really are critical to encouraging more people to listen to a show they haven't heard of before, and it can also help the show rank better, allowing more people to discover it. Again, that URL is artofworldbuilding.com slash review. Our body design work is largely done for us if we are creating humanoids. The first decision we're going to want to make is how big are they compared to humans. If we're creating multiple species, most of us will probably want to create some that are smaller than us and some that are bigger. The differences can be large or small. Maybe we have a 9-foot species and a 3-foot species. Or maybe they're only 7 feet tall and 5 feet tall, so pretty close to humans. One of the things that this will affect is how formidable a species is in combat. Something bigger tends to be stronger. It might also have a harder time sneaking up on people as opposed to a much smaller species. Now when I say formidable, there is no reason that a smaller species can't be deadly. For example, I have one that tends to swarm like bees. They are certainly intimidating to anyone who runs across them. In fact, they're actually more feared than some of the larger species. Even so, you'll note how I use the swarming technique to make them ferocious, whereas the larger species don't need that kind of help. Another issue here is the clothing. A smaller species might not find clothing suitable for them if they are trying to steal it from a larger species, or vice versa. They might have to steal it from human children. On the other hand, A 9-foot-tall humanoid will not have any options for this, or at least not unless there's another tall species. If they're the sort who is incapable of the sort of industry to make clothing, then maybe they are typically seen without it. Or maybe their clothing is very rudimentary, such as a potato sack, for example. 
If a smaller species does go around stealing clothes because they aren't capable of making it, then most of what they have is probably going to be mismatched. This is a quick way to imply their lack of sophistication. We don't actually have to tell the audience that they can't make clothing. We can show this. And if they can't make that, there's probably all sorts of other things they can't make, including weapons for their size. They can once again steal something if it's appropriate, such as using a human short sword as their long sword. Or if they are a truly large species, they may have no weapons that they can use except for the two-handed sword. Maybe this results in a fighting style that is less about finesse, like with a sword, and more about brute strength, using something like a club that is basically a tree branch. There's another option here as well. There could be people who design weapons for these larger creatures, even if maybe they shouldn't have them. Who would do this? Well, how about your evil overlords? And with that, we bring ourselves full circle back to the subject that we started this episode with, good versus evil. I hope this is giving you some ideas. Our next episode will conclude our discussion on species and races. All of the show's music is actually courtesy of yours truly, as I'm also a musician. The theme song is the title track for my Some Things Are Better Left Unsaid album. But now we're closing out with another tune. This is Moshkill from Now Weaponized. You can hear more at randyolofson.com. Check out artofworldbuilding.com for free templates to help with your worldbuilding. And please rate and review the show on iTunes. Thanks for listening.